Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 211 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having an awesome day. And I hope that today's podcast session has you just doing really well. So I'm recording this in late September, about a month before the episode actually goes live. And it's starting to cool here in Philly. And I'm just, you know, I I grew up in Texas. I've shared this before, but I, I grew up in Texas. And so basically the only seasons are hot, very hot, kind of cold, sleet, and then back to very hot again. So I love these changing seasons, especially now that we live here in the Northeast. And I love this cooler season where we are thinking about going apple picking and looking at apple cider donuts and heading to farms and doing hay rides and pumpkins and all of that stuff. So I hope uh, wherever you are, I hope that you've got something similar planned. Today's podcast session is a topic that which we have not had before, which I titled it A Niche in Religious Abuse. My guest is Connie A. Baker. Connie is a licensed professional counselor. She's out in in Washington. And Connie's niche and area of specialty is religious abuse recovery. Connie is actually the victim of sexual abuse at the hand of religious clergy, which she'll share a little bit more about in this podcast interview. But she decided that the abuse was not going to stop her and that she wanted to heal. And in the process of her healing, she realized that she wanted to work with others who had experienced similar things. And so in today's podcast, we're going to learn a number of different things, including how Connie got into this niche, how she actually markets this niche, As you guys can probably imagine, when a lot of times religious abuse is perpetrated by religious leaders, and it's also there may be like systemic issues involved, right? So, for example, the leadership of the religious institution believes the religious leader and not the person that's making the accusation. And so from a business perspective, how in the world do you market this niche? And then Connie is doing some pretty amazing things besides counseling. She mentioned 
this, I can't remember if she actually mentioned this in the interview or when we were just talking privately, but she schedules typically around 25 clients a week in this specific niche. And now she's an empty nester. And so she's getting ready to make that transition to seeing less one-on-one work. And so she's really started to expand into different things like webinars and workshops and online courses, and also wrote a book, which I'll link to in the show notes. We talk a lot about how she made that decision to branch out, which of those things she focused on, what things went right, what things went wrong. This episode is chock full of uh, really, I think, really helpful information. Even if you don't have an interest in religious abuse, just I think it speaks to the power of focus niching. Before we do get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for being just long-term supporters of today's podcast of the Selling the Podcast in general. If you guys are looking for just an easier way to manage case notes, manage scheduling clients, managing super bills or billing insurance, doing it all digitally as opposed to you know having manila folders, then I encourage you to check out Therapy Notes. They do, they're actually a local company and I've gotten to meet them a couple of times and they're just uh, the good folks. You can learn more about Therapy Notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Therapy Notes. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Connie Baker from ConnieABaker.com. Hi, Connie. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Oh, thank you, Melvin. It's great to be here. So for you guys that are listening, Connie and I actually connected because one of the Selling the Couch admins, Sovan Penn and Connie are friends. And Sovan had reached out and was like, man, you have to meet Connie because she's doing some wonderful work when it comes to religious abuse. And I was like, man, that's, I know that, you know, like, I think we had briefly talked about this, Connie, but I know that in my small, like South Indian Christian community that I belong to, I know that's a big area, you know, something that's kind of emerging and Yes, it is emerging. Yeah. And I wanted to start kind of at the top, which is what exactly is religious abuse? Oh, it's a great question. And there's honestly, I'm going to give you my definition, Melvin, because there is, there's some variation to that among people who work in the area. But the way I define religious abuse is any abuse, I believe, has a power differential involved to where one person has more power than the other. And in religious, or I also call it spiritual abuse, I use those interchangeably, in religious or spiritual abuse, that power is held by someone who has religious authority or speaks for the divine or some other expression of religion. And that authority or that person with more power uses that power to hurt, manipulate, power play, silence, weaken, (laughs) whatever, another individual. I love that definition, one, because it's so succinct, but two, I think it like clearly states what it is. How did you become interested in this area in the first place? Oh, that's a long personal story. Melvin, as you know, most of us, if you look at what we specialize in, it's part of our story, (laughs) you know? So Back when I was 25 years old, almost 30 years ago, I was sexually abused by a pastor in my church. And for nine months, I went through the sexual abuse. And then at the end of nine months, I told the leadership what had happened. And I was blamed for it. And I had to publicly stand up and give confession 
in front of the whole church, and then they ask me to leave the church. That's the very short story. And it was beyond shattering. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're talking to mostly therapists here. I'm giving the tip of the iceberg. You guys can imagine the destruction <laughs> underneath. And so all that to say, it took me almost 10 years to think I was actually going to be able to survive and thrive. My identity was utterly shattered, my reputation. And I had a great reputation. I was in leadership. I was high profile. My reputation was shattered. Uh, Oh, my main social support network was absolutely cut off at a time when I needed it. So it was a really beyond devastating time, just shattering to the core. So that's so what happened then is I got better and started deciding what I wanted to do with that pain and that healing that I had experienced. I don't even know like what to say. I just, I mean, I think the word you said is like shattering. And I just, that was the word that I thought I just, I can't even imagine. And then I think the other side of that is I can't even imagine doing the work and doing so much of the work that you realized like this could be your calling mm. in the world, you know? Right. It is. It's how I view life and how the world works is I think I'd go a little crazy, especially as a therapist, if I did not believe that that good and beautiful things can come out of suffering. I think I've always believed that it took a lot of time, but thank you. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, this is a long time ago and I can speak about it very forthrightly now. Part of my story, I think that's important, Melvin, is that when I look back on this story, I believe only about 20, well, not only, but I believe about 25% of the devastation to me came from the actual sexual assault. That was bad enough. It was, it was horrible. But what was worse on a, an emotional, social, relational, and spiritual level for me was what the church leadership did with you know, the fallout from that, I give that a full 75%. It was the majority of the damage done. Yeah. And a lot of people don't quite see that. They'll think, oh, the sexual abuse. Well, that, yes, <laughs> bad enough. But what, how things played out were much more devastating to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Because, and I think you're right, like it is very easy for us as clinicians to just focus on the abuse, but then we don't see the implications or the repercussions or all the, especially something like this, because you described it so well, you were socially connected, you had, like you were esteemed in the community, you were in a position right. of leadership. And so it is about the abuse. And it's also be, uh, about the loss of that social network. Yes. Oh, devastating. Yes. I wanted to like shift a little bit and take that same, you know, idea of what you're sharing, which is that, you know, a lot of times when religious abuse occurs, there's not just the perpetrator, but there could be the institution that's involved, right? Very much. Now that you have started this niche in working with religious abuse, you know, I think the normal the normal kind of idea, you know, that I've heard others mentioned or, you know, private practice coaches may mention is, you know, especially if you're working with like religious concerns, you know, one of the best ways to get referrals is through religious communities or religious leaders. But this situation is unique because sometimes those religious leaders or those institutions could be the abusers or they could be perpetuating the abuse. So like from a business perspective, how do you like navigate all that? Oh, it is so it is so dicey. You're absolutely saying the issue. A lot of my clients who still 
have a faith. I deal with the full spectrum. I deal with people deeply still immersed in a, a, even a fundamentalist type faith, clear over to agnostics and atheists who say, I would never touch religion again with a 10 foot pole. And I'm really comfortable with all of them. You know, I, my, my heart is open to any, any survivor. So, so what'll happen though, people who are, I see that still are people of faith will say, oh goodness, Connie, you've got to get this word out to the churches. And I look at them and I say, think about that for a minute. <laughs> and because it's really, you really can't do that. Now there are certain types of churches that are open. There are very small cross-section, I believe, but there are certain churches I'm finding that are open and aware about what this issue is and how it impacts people. And what I've found is I've actually gone to churches and talked to leadership of churches where people who have gone through abuse tend to migrate because mm -hmm. there is a certain movement toward certain churches or denominations that are known to be refuges for these people. And so those ones I do talk to. But I got to tell you from a business perspective, Melvin, it, it was early on, it was truly just word of mouth because I started leading some groups on this because I had enough critical mass to start doing some of that. But that's part of why I got in to my online Facebook group, my courses, and my book was because there's no great direct path to marketing this. Right. And sounds like even with this niche, then it's kind of almost this multi-tiered or multi-path approach, some combo of like word of mouth. Yes. Some of it is, you know, certain congregations or sects that maybe that you said like that the population may gravitate toward. Correct. And then what other things have you like found where you know, hey, this is where some of the ways that I'm getting clients. In this arena, there are some <laughs> subgroups. Over the last five years, online groups on these issues have just exploded. Really? And oh my goodness, I did my first actual full two-day seminar in 2014, hmm. almost exactly five years ago. And people were still looking at me consistently with a blank stare. They would say, what do you mean by religious abuse? Do you mean like sexual abuse in the church? Uh, you know, and I'd say, well, that is only one piece of the pie. I'm, you know, looking at a much bigger D and they could not wrap their heads around it. I think the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement, those have brought a lot of awareness. People are talking so much more. Watchdogs are going for the jugular where abuse is happening. So there's been this really heightened cultural awareness of the topic over the last five years that's been, I think, pretty dramatic because I've been watching this issue for 15 years professionally. And the last five years have really, we've seen an increase. So there, there are Facebook groups, there are Facebook pages. I'm not huge on Instagram and Twitter, but it is all over those. So social media has connected people. And so what'll happen is one person hears about me and says, you need to get Connie stuff. And word of mouth within those subsets is very strong. Now, those are online. And so my private practice has been very full since before I started doing this specialty at this level. So I haven't needed to market for my practice as much because it really was word of mouth on this. For my, right. for my book and my other stuff, it's a much broader community. One, I think I appreciate the organic nature of this. Like, it's not like 
step one, I need to reach out to a Facebook group. Step two, you know, like, yeah, and maybe somebody has that <laughs> for this topic. But for me, it has just been a heck of a lot of hard work, honestly, these last few years. Yeah, it's been a lot of work. I wanted to ask about that. Like, so for you, like, it has been sense like it has been extremely tough work. And what would you say is the hardest part of working or having this niche? Well, the immediate thing that comes to mind, two, two things. First of all, kind of what we've just been talking about, how does one get the word out? Especially for a real non-techie like me, <laughs> you know, I ended up having to increase my private practice kind of to the max to pay people to help me until this starts helping paying for itself and it's starting to but there's so much groundwork that has gone into this so the hard work one is just me learning all these new technical and marketing skills and how to get the word out effectively some 54 year olds are going to be a whole lot better at this than i am but i've learned a lot you know by this process but it's been a lot of just nose to the grindstone without seeing a lot of payoff at certain points then i'll see wow this is really exciting the other hardest part of this, honestly, besides what we normally see as therapists, which is just wrenching, jaw-dropping, horrible stories about what goes on in some religious institutions, is the injustice, that the inability to broadcast. I've chosen not to broadcast this religious institution is bad or wrong, and this one is good. I, first of all, I don't think that that's a fair assessment most of the time. But I know certain institutions where abuse happens so regularly, maybe not sexual, but people's lives are just absolutely destroyed by these institutions and watching it happen and, you know, the helplessness we feel sometimes when we realize injustice is going on. So it's a hard thing. Yeah, no, I mean, even as you were talking, like, I felt it in my heart, because I feel like, you know, I remember, like, you know, like, taking, you know, like a multiculturalism class. And I remember, like, talking about, like, systemic oppression and all these yes. different things and thinking through that. But, like, in this niche, like, that's so real. It's so real. It is systemic. I'm so glad you used that word. It is not just it can be just one person abusing people below them. But boy, the system in some way has to support that if it's ongoing. And it can be just systemic. Yeah, glad you used that word, Melvin. I wanted to ask you a personal question, which is, sure. you hear these, like you said, gut-wrenching stories. You hear about these institutions. How do you do this work and not let it affect your personal faith? Great question. And I'm going to say it has affected it. I think, you know, if, we're, if our hearts are open to clients and we're really connecting, our clients change us and our friends change us and our families impact us. I think that's good old mirror neurons going on. And so in some ways, my abuse itself provoked a significant health, health crisis, ah, Freudian slip, faith crisis, <laughs> a significant faith crisis. And through the years, it was actually, there was an immediate faith crisis, but then really some of the rougher stuff came almost 15 years later, where I was really having to sort through my own faith stance again. And at 29 years later, I am still a person of faith, but it has shifted. I have gone through dramatic shifts of beliefs. And I think that's part of a lot of people's story who go through this. Not everybody's, but if it impacts you at that level, you almost can't go back to business as usual. 
I wanted to shift a little bit and you shared this a little, you know, right a little earlier in the interview, which is you started doing therapy, you started with groups and then started doing, you know, one-on-one work. And then you realized that, oh my gosh, this is way bigger than my like immediate geographic area. Absolutely. Right. You have since branched out to doing things like webinars and workshops and seminars. Yeah. You created an online course. You wrote a book. Yeah. One, I, before I ask my question, I just wanted to say like one of the things I sense in that is like you just, for you, it's not about just creating a bunch of products. It's about a bigger message, right? And being able to like heal on a bigger scale. Out of those things, like which of those came first? Oh, that's a great question. I started, well, the story starts a bit professionally back in graduate school uh, 15 years ago in a class on small groups, small group leadership for my degree. And the professor said, I want you to design small group curriculum for something specific. And I immediately knew, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And I did it. And this professor who was just a great mentor to me as well, she came up to me after I presented and she said, you're going to use this. And that was like the little seed, you know, of, hmm, I think I am. And then I graduated a few, you know, a couple of years later and then developed an actual small group because my private practice was starting to get enough people to, to do that. Then I actually got cancer, right? Well, in 2010, and everything got put on hold for a few years, except keeping my private practice alive and myself alive. But then I decided I really wanted to do, I love speaking in front of people live because I love the interaction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did a seminar, a two-day seminar. That was in 2014. And But what I realized is at 40-some people that attended, I tapped out my realm. I thought if I do this again, I don't think I'm going to get as good a response. And so I started, then I did the online course and I put that out there. And honestly, it is a really quality online course. I'm not bragging because the people I had film it did it absolutely over the top professionally and they made me look good, (laughs) but, but it didn't sell well, honestly. And it's still Uh, I'm struggling to get it going. And that's the point I said, my whole team, by this time I had a few people working with me, both volunteer and paid. And they said, you need a book. You absolutely, and I said, well, a book is in me. And they said, we know, go, go write it. And so I've spent the last couple of years doing that to say, I need that platform. I need that, that voice in that form. Hmm. And then the online groups with the book, the online groups started about a year ago. The webinar started probably about a year ago, a year, 15 months ago, last uh, summer, early summer. So yeah, that's kind of how it's, and then my book just released in June. Oh my gosh, year. you have been busy. <laughs> like, Oh, yes. Unbelievable how, how much you've been able to do. So why do you think the course didn't do as well? Because the only reason I ask is because oh, one, I feel like a lot of clinicians want to create online courses. And I think that's right. Like, I don't know, one of the painful lessons I've learned is just because something is a great idea, right? Right. And you can put it into a course doesn't mean that consumers actually want to buy that course. Correct. Boy, did we find that out. And that's part of, I think, learning and growing. You know, I can look at this as a failure. (laughs) And but honestly, the story's not written yet. But honestly, but I've been discouraged with it sometimes because I put a lot of money into the course. And it turned out the content and the production are really, I think, fantastic. 
you're right. And I'm thinking, why aren't people buying? Part of this, Melvin, for me, is I am a therapist at heart, and I don't know how to market. <laughs> I'm having to learn, how do I put it in their framework that they need this? Once they watch it, they go, oh my gosh, changed my life. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and, and then, but the issue is, there's been, I'm still learning, and I've actually hired copywriters to help me find wording, find framework to start to, to make the connection in that person's felt need. So it sounds like kind of the piece that you all have to figure out and which I'm like curious and excited for you in a way is the content is good. It's just, we got to figure out who are the people that need it and how do I get it in front of those people? Exactly. And honestly, I decided not to drop my price very much for this this is a six-hour course of just very dense material and very helpful material. And so I decided I'm not going to give it away, you know. And I think what's going to happen, honestly, if people read my book and they start trusting me, we've kind of put a pause on marketing the course. I'm marketing much more right now my webinars, my groups. I'm just going to be starting a subscription group here pretty soon. We're putting emphasis on those right now. But my whole team knows we're going to be really working on this course in 2020, probably. And people will start hearing more about it. And I think at that point, I have a lot of hope for it catching on. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. And I think, well, one, I'm like really glad that you stuck with stuck your guns and didn't like lower the price. But I think the reality also is as generally as things increase in price, right, we're going to have less customers. I, I've read cool. like multiple places that, you know, like if you, if you look at like, I don't know, an average email list, somewhere around only about one to 2% of your folks will buy. And if you're actually getting higher than that, it actually may be an indicator to increase prices, which I thought, so initially when I was heard that, I was like, huh? But, you know, it seemed to make right. sense, you know? Right. But I think that that's actually, I love those stats because I sold way better than that. Mm. <laughs> but it's still, you know, it's like the first initial hit came out and then it really, really slowed down to a trickle. And yeah, with my book, I feel like I've done a better job. There was an initial, we got three number one places on Amazon when it came out, which I was so excited in three different categories. But we also put a lot more thought into that marketing and there's been a much more steady flow of my book sales since then, which is really encouraging. But my book's one ninety nine, right. and you know my course is two fifty three hundred, depending on your packaging of it. So yeah, it's a it's a whole different investment. Yeah, right. And it's maybe like trying to figure out also like it's a maybe a different population that exactly. needs to, right where the one ninety nine might be the general population, whereas you know I don't know the three hundred maybe more exactly clinicians that are interested in the space. You know, for example. Connie, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. I love recording episodes like this because it's not just about marketing a niche. It's about solving and trying to be a solution to a very real, very real like problem, a very real pain that, that you know a lot of folks unfortunately experience in this world. So I'm just grateful for you. Absolutely. And my heart is for clinicians as well. Eventually, I do want to get a webinar or something specifically for clinicians on how to deal with it because it's touchy. It's a hard, there's a lot of places you can go sideways with this topic. And so yeah, I'm just my heart is for clinicians to do a great job with this topic as well. Awesome. Connie, where can we learn more about you? And I'll definitely put the book on the show notes page, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 211. But um, where can we learn more about you? 
Yes, well, my website, Connie A. Baker, my name with the middle letter A, baker.com. My book is Traumatized by Religious Abuse, Courage, Hope, and Freedom for Survivors. That's a great resource, but really my website has all the things on them. I do have a Facebook group of a little over 400 now, Overcoming Religious Abuse Community, and it's a closed group. You can find it and get into it with privacy. So yeah, all those are resources. Perfect. Connie, thank you again for doing this. You bet. Thank you for having me, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Connie. And especially if you are thinking about a niche in religious abuse recovery, or if that's even a niche that you already have, I hope that today's podcast conversation is giving you some new ideas, especially in terms of expanding and and being able to serve this population because there is such a need, especially in this season and this time that we live in. Connie's book, which you can find on Amazon, it's super reasonably priced. Uh, It's called Traumatized by Religious Abuse, Courage, Hope, and Freedom for Survivors, and which I'll link to here in the show notes page again over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 211. By the way, really random, which I learned recently, but if you actually just type in sellingthecouch.com forward slash and the number 211, you can actually get that as well. We actually made changes to it, and I didn't quite realize we made changes. I was thinking about this conversation with Connie, and one of the things that, I don't know, just kept standing out to me. So let me give you a little bit of a background. Last, well, yesterday, and then after we record this podcast session, I'm thinking about, you know, clarifying my niche a little further. And what I've kind of said, you know, my existing website right now, I mainly work with entrepreneurs and leaders. And I think as I've kind of gotten more focused and thus thought about stuff, I, I want to kind of niche a little further. And so I've been thinking a lot about what to do and how to do that. And I think today's podcast conversation has just given me that sense of encouragement and motivation just to be able to speak my truth and to speak in it in an authentic way. As we wrap up, again, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys are looking for electronic health records, I encourage you to check them out. You know, one of the things that I think a lot about as a small business owner is making sure that I have really good, solid systems and processes for things that I do. So in my private practice, one of the things that I'm especially now thinking about is how does a potential client that visits my site and does a console with me, how do I get them scheduled? How do I document any clinical notes that I may have? And then how do I bill all in an efficient manner? And Therapy Notes actually does all of that for us. So they have a really nice systematized workflow. One of the things that you may not know about Therapy Notes is the spouse of the person who created Therapy Notes is actually a clinician in private practice. And so they do a lot of testing for Therapy Notes in the group private practice. And so these are One of the things I like about Therapy Notes is they actually, you know, they do real world testing. And so the cool thing is, again, they they have this really nice and efficient workflow so that we can actually focus on doing go to work with our clients. You can learn more about Therapy Notes and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Oh, and I totally forgot to mention one thing. So if you've tuned into the end, you get a little surprised. A lot of you guys have asked 
how our daughter Chloe is doing. She just turned one here in the last couple of weeks ago. We're doing really well. And we actually, this past week, we made the transition to whole milk. So we have gone from pumping and all of that stuff to formula to now whole milk. And I will say it has made a world of difference. And uh, she's fortunately a really good eater. And so we've been giving her a variety of food and she seems to be really liking stuff. Her favorite stuff right now is salmon and blackberries for some reason. So although I don't give those at the same time. So have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.